And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I hope helps your business grow. Now, for those of you that are longtime listeners, you know that I'm often found or heard saying that the best form of incoming capital is revenue. And in order to get revenue, we need sales. Sales validates everything you do. Sales cures ales. I could go on and on and on. But one of the bigger questions that and problems that needs to be solved is how do we make sales? How do we get in front of the people that we want to talk about or talk to about whatever it is that we do? Now, the world of marketing teaches us that the more eyes we put our product or service in front of, the better off we are. And often that marketing results in someone asking us about what we do. There's also an entirely different side to that. There, You can go out and actually try to find business. So in an effort to make my own life and business better and to hopefully help yours do the same, we're going to talk about lead generation today. Now, I promised we would have a guest today, and much like we always do, that is the case. With me today, I've got Daryl Evans. Daryl is the CEO and co-founder of Yokel Local. He's also a growth coach and the host of the MindShift podcast. Daryl does a little of that too. Now, you know, I like it when you're interactive. So as we learn more about Daryl, scroll down and click the DarylEvans.net link why you do that. Welcome to Startup Hustle, Daryl. <laughs> I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Do you think we can solve this lead problem? It's one of my favorite topics, man. Let's deliver a masterclass to your listening audience. I'll do my best. I, I, I'm looking forward to doing that and learning some stuff myself. Now, before we get too far into that, um, let's get a little bit about your backstory so the listeners and, and myself to some degree can can begin the master class on Daryl Evans. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, you know, I got my beginnings uh, really in an odd way for entrepreneurship in, in the startup world, but uh, I got my first job when I was 16 and at a little place in, in the United States called Taco Bell. Little did I know a few years later, I was the general manager <laughs> for Taco Bell restaurant while I was going through college. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, the entrepreneurial DNA had been in there since I started selling now and later is at the school lockers uh, in high school. One of those those uh, candy flippers, if you will, back in the day to put some money in my pocket. Uh, but I started my first little uh, uh, commerce business out of the truck of my car at a swap meet. I'm a sports fan. I played sports growing up, so I love wearing sportswear. So I would buy uh, products from wholesale vendors, New York, L.A., go out to the swap meet, post up a uh, table outside of my Honda Civic and started selling shirts, hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts. Today, that's called e-commerce. We called it trunk commerce, looking back on those days. <laughs> Fast forward through uh, college, got a degree in finance, thought I was going to go work on Wall Street, uh, but that entrepreneurial bug was still there, so jumped in full-time, uh, jumped into the mortgage industry around 2000, uh, ended up growing uh, a business off of the uh, 
couch of my grandmother's house because I had a little bit of a setback between 97 and 99 financially and uh, found myself living on her couch, started the mortgage business, grew a business, ended up uh, co-owning a mortgage company. Uh, we closed that firm down. Uh, but I got involved in the the digital marketing space around 2003, four with that company. And we ended up successfully growing YouTube channels around 2007, LinkedIn on 2006. I mean, lead generation online, 2005, started internet marketing division inside of that company and then just pivoted uh, in the middle of the recession to start helping small business owners do the same. So been a nice journey with Yoko Local 10 years, uh, done a bit over 300 million in revenue with clients and uh, just excited to uh, share some of those thoughts and insights over my 30 years of, you know, growing, starting up, starting again, falling, starting up, <laughs> you know, the typical entrepreneurial thing. You know, one of the things that is, is true is that nothing happens in a business until something is sold. And 100%. I, and, you know, I just to, to validate that. I mean, you don't need, a, a sh you don't need a, a loading dock in and out you don't need a comptroller. You don't need anybody or anything unless something is sold. And if you stop selling things, cash flow slows, everything sucks as a, as a result of that. And so much of that lies on your, your, your success and failure. It comes on your ability to sell stuff. And um, one of the things about startups and being an entrepreneur is it doesn't come with an owner's manual. Now, you were a general manager and college manager at, at Taco Bell. That actually did have an owner's manual or at least some semblance of one. And we don't get that, you know. So businesses like 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 the Bell, they got some built in business and they do marketing and different stuff. Now, as a startup, whether you sell a product, software or something else, you're going to have to try to figure that out. And Look, this is this is a real big challenge for a lot of businesses because a lot of people, especially the tech space, they're good at tech and they're not good at sales. Mm -hmm. And the two, if you can find someone that's great at tech and great at sales, that's almost like a different kind of unicorn. But you know, I think we should first start with maybe a quick discussion of why businesses fail to generate leads. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's uh great, great points as you made it. Uh, nothing, I think it's either, and I know I've heard it two different ways by two different great, great entrepreneurs. Uh, Zig Ziglar was one, Mark Cuban's another that echoes what you just said, which is nothing happens until something gets sold and then sales cures all things. Like literally, I think it's Zig Ziglar made the first reference and then Mark Cuban on the second. Um, you know, when I think about sales, and I think one of the big hurdles with sales failure in my years of not only being a salesperson as an entrepreneur, and don't get it twisted. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a salesperson, unless you have a co-founder and you're taking care of technical and then they're taking care of sales. If you're an entrepreneur and you don't get a steady paycheck, you're in sales. The faster you accept that truth, the better you'll be. And so when I think about sales, I think the thing that has helped me the most is I've overcome and got past the idea that selling involved me convincing someone to purchase something that they didn't want for my benefit. That was an early lesson in my, in the nineties. So I'm dating myself. I turned 50 this year, so I've been selling for a little bit, <laughs> but it was the distinction that I'm not selling anything to anyone as a salesperson who really has a valuable product or service to offer, 
I am assisting someone in need who has a problem and they'd like to solve the problem, insert my product or service, if it's at the right price point, if it has the right value, benefits, features, and let's not forget, if in the world of professional services, if they actually like me, right? Because I think a lot of times people don't understand that people buy from people, not necessarily that they have to like, know, and trust you, but they definitely better know you and they better trust. They don't always have to like you, but those are the factors that I think have been successful. Uh, I've seen it years and years and, and now hundreds of hundreds of companies, as well as the businesses that I've owned and grown. So you, you have a great point because people uh, in business owners, founders, whoever, salespeople, uh, you know, they, they let that fact, okay, a great salesperson is a problem solver. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, whether, whether it's because you need to walk into Best Buy and buy a camera. So the problem you're solving there is you don't have, you don't have something, you don't have the camera you need or the camcorder or whatever, or for example, like our, okay. So this episode's sponsored by crown CFO. Like a lot of businesses can't afford a full-time CFO. So fractional services make a lot of sense. Like they're providing you and we use them at my business full scale. And I've got an amazing CFO right. that I'm able to employ part-time. And like, that was a huge problem for us because you know, we have a small, we have 40 clients. Now we do big ticket sales with them, but I'm not highly transactional. So there's not a disgustingly large amount of stuff to keep up with. So, you know, now that said, once you get past that, that objection that you have, it makes it easier to sell to people. And, and so we talk about the bad part and we are going to get into lead gen, but you can have all the leads in the world. If you don't know what to do with them, it, they're useless. And so, so many salespeople just really struggle at asking for what they want and asking for the sale. And they're afraid that they're going to offend someone. Now, if approached properly, and like you stated, you're solving a problem. And keep in mind, like, especially when that lead quote or client or person interested comes to you, they, they've already acknowledged, like they walked in the door of your store. Yes, they're interested in whatever it is that you've got. And, you know, I think that that, that alone, that that simple fear right there stops a lot of people from from selling. And, and, you know, if you've listened to the show a lot as well, and I'll bounce this one back over to you, I think the, the, the next part that I find that kind of completes that is too many salespeople just are not, they're not great at defining the benefit of whatever they're selling, what that offers. Like people are interested in the features. They like to hear about the advantages, but they buy due to the benefits. And I see a lot of messaging and a lot of presentation. They're like, okay, so I'm the founder of Gigabook. And at first I thought people would love all the features related to the booking software. Then I realized they, they love the benefit of the peace of mind of it doing the work in the background. Like, mm -hmm. so who, gave, who cares about the features at that point? What's the benefit? And I'm, I'm sure you find a, a, and that's still that solution or whatever, but you know, I don't know if you have any comments on that before we talk about how we're going to find people to buy stuff. Yeah, I mean, a couple of great insights there. And and I think, again, from the the one of the comments that you made, that that issue of asking for the check, like asking for the sale, 
you, there's a lot of discussion today and a lot of misunderstanding, confusion around, and, and we specialize this in digital, of course, bringing the leads to you, bringing highly qualified leads to your brand, into your sales process, through your website, through a form, through a phone call, through a webinar, whatever that sequence may be. The issue though, is that you still have to ask at the end of the day. And so we have a very simple six-step framework in our sales methodology, which literally step six is assuming you get to step six. That's the other thing. Salespeople don't have a process. They randomly think that because the person either filled out a form on their website or met them in a networking meeting and sat down with them at Starbucks. And today that's virtually on Zoom in the middle of this pandemic. Just because they did that doesn't mean that even if you have what they need and they have the problem that needs it, they're just not going to pull out the credit card and buy. You have to develop a, a posture and an awareness of when it's the next step to ask for the sale. Um, to your other point of, you know, getting the uh, through the, the the hurdle, the mental hurdle of a process is when you distinguish between features and benefits, it goes back to, and I always talk that it goes back to sitting in the seat of that specific customer and the pain or problem that they are going through. You know, there's a psychological uh, process that I talk about, and it's basically that we really are only going to do, human beings are only going to do things in one of two ways. Either they're going to decide to do something that's going to bring them pleasure, or they're going to decide to do something to avoid pain. And if you can decide, I talked a lot about whether your product or service is a vitamin or a painkiller. Is it a vitamin or a painkiller? We all know we probably should eat better, move a little bit more, go to the gym, et cetera, et cetera, if we want to be you know, ultimately healthy. However, the world that we live in spends more money on medicine than they do on staying in shape. And that's the way I help clients look at their products. It, can we somehow make your product a painkiller and not just a vitamin? And it usually is both. But people oftentimes, in my experience, buy when the pain is great enough. And in order to buy, back to what you said, you got to ask. <laughs> yep. And that's that's a simple uh, reactive versus proactive approach. Um, obviously, medicine's reactive, vitamins are proactive. Now, when it comes to leads, there's, um, and I, I think we can move right into this, because here's the thing, if you want to, there's, we have lots of episodes in the past, and there's lots of material out there about being a better salesperson. But, you know, one of the things that, that I think is the, is, the, is the ask and what people need to know is, oh, there's a lot of different ways you can generate leads. There is a proactive and a reactive approach, like someone that responds to your marketing and ends up in your funnel. Now, here's the thing, this funnel we speak of, and I'm kind of tired of talking about the funnel in life, but right. like that same funnel is like big and wide when it comes to lead gen. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of specialists and companies that do that, but what does that really mean? So let's start with a simple a simple definition and description of a lead. I'll let you go first with something and we can just kind of bounce a few back. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's very simple. The definition of a lead and I've, I've got a kind of a seven step ladder framework of how we go from, you know, we take a, a human being who doesn't know who your brand is and take them through the journey uh, as I'm always referring to a buyer's journey, but not just the buyer's journey when they make a purchase, but how do you elevate 
the relationship past just them being a customer, turning them into a client, turning them into an advocate, and ultimately a raving fan. So there's seven steps, but let's start with the first definition, which is turning a perfect stranger into a lead. So for me, the definition of a lead is someone who has raised their hand. Now, when I say raise their hand, it could be virtually, it could be via phone call, it could be via a conversation over wine or dinner, over a golf course, whatever it may look like. But when the individual raises their hand in some way, shape, or form and indicates that they have a problem that they believe your product or service could solve, that is as simple as it gets. The distinction and where things get difficult <laughs> is that 96, 97, 98% of all leads, though qualified, perhaps financially qualified, perhaps they absolutely need it, and perhaps your product is the best fit or service is the best fit, 96 to 98% of those leads are not ready to buy today. That's where salespeople run into problems. That's where entrepreneurs run into problems. They think that because the lead identified themselves, and if we get into it, I'll talk about the iceberg concept. Once they've identified themselves, everyone wants to have that lead go straight to the checkout line. <laughs> You know, I'm interested, hurry up, let's get to the sales pitch and let's get the credit card and get this process going. And that's where people lose uh, sales opportunities. They don't understand the value of a lead, the lifetime conversion process of their sales. Um, you know, I work with clients from, and I myself have worked in the business where someone walks up to my stand at a, at a swap meet and buys my t-shirt, never knew me from Adam 10 seconds before all the way to where I it can take me now sometimes 18 months to close a $100,000 a year contract. So what's, what's the difference? It's patience and understanding what is the real buyer's journey like for your most ideal customer. So uh, the definition of lead is someone who's identified themselves as having a problem that you believe your product or service can solve. Yeah. And those leads can, you know, you, you mentioned there's, so you have inbound and outbound and that's why I want to do a quick differentiation there too, because, mm -hmm. um, we met, we, okay. So marketing at the beginning of the show, so get, get your product in front of many eyes. And, you know, like there's all these different things that, that occur, whether it's digital or, I mean, it doesn't matter right. if someone responds to your marketing or a referral or anything, if they come to you, that's inbound. Now, those those are the easier of the two. And uh, creating an out, a lead from outbound activity it requires more energy. It requires uh, often more volume because you're seeking. You're, uh, I like to compare this. If you watch the shows on Discovery or History Channel where they mine gold, and these people are moving massive truckloads of dirt and they're washing it to try to get little tiny specks of gold out of it. Now, that said, they run gas, they run time, they have repairs, they're fighting the weather and different stuff like that. And they're hoping that the gold is worth more than the cost of retrieving it. Now, uh, an outbound lead gen strategy is like I just described. You, in like Daryl said, okay, if, if you might have 98% of people, they might be identified as a buyer. Now, for our case, I'll give you an example because I like real, real world stuff, mm -hmm. not just make believe. So, full scale, the company I'm the CEO of, we provide tech services. So, if people are hiring for specific types of developers or programmers, technically they're a lead. Now, they could be posting a job on LinkedIn that says they need a PHP programmer, 
And that is enough of an indicator for us that they might be a good fit. Now we take it a different level. We're looking for uh, companies that have a specific size or age. Uh, like if they have 10,000 employees, you mentioned that life cycle of that sale, that'll take forever. And it's mm -hmm. not really our target client. So mm -hmm. we're able to narrow it down a little. But then at that point, your outbound uh, lead, you know, chasing leads with outbound activity is the more is the more time consuming. It can be more expensive. There's a lot. But then again, you might spend a lot on on marketing, trying to get the inbound lead coming in. So it really kind of depends. And also, you know, every business and product or, or whomever has a different uh, ha, you know, you mentioned patience. There's certain times, certain types of sales, you get one shot. It's like that proverbial, like what you mentioned the swap meet. Now, if you're only going to be there once, you had one chance to make all the sales that right. walked by because you weren't right. coming back. Now, with your services as a CMO or anything, or like with full scale is the same thing. It's like, you know, we, I can't make my clients sign up and buy faster. They're yeah. ready when they're ready. Correct. They have projects that are starting or in need or budgets or these different things. So with that, that's been able to, that's been able to help us be a lot more patient. But I also think that patience isn't always the greatest thing for salespeople because it often prevents us from asking for the sales. So yeah. anyway, there's a agree with that. kind of a quick, a quick, and I want to give you a chance to reply to, to all my statements there, but there's obviously, you know, you do have a, a couple different approaches. It's, it's a lot of companies are good at one and then leave one completely untouched or don't yeah, even yeah. try as well. Yeah, no. So a lot of great points there. So just a little bit more of my backstory. I, my, the first thing I did after the commerce business was I got in the real estate industry from 92 to 90. Well, really, I had the license for 17 years, but I, I kind of was always a secondary income source in the real estate business. But I built that business with direct response marketing using direct mail. So to your point of outbound, I learned outbound long before inbound even became a thing related to the internet. And I think that's the reason I became so good at inbound was because I had to go into a cold market knowing that I had a service to deliver, but I had to find a very specific target audience, and you spoke to that, which is understanding who your buyer actually really is. And that is where a lot of times marketing and sales goes wrong, is we try to market to everybody. So back when I started in 92, 93, I, have, I, I very fortunately got mentored by uh, the number two real estate agent in the state of Nevada where I lived. And he brought me under his wing, not for free, of course, I had to pay and paid, I had to pay with sweat equity, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But that mentoring was invaluable. What it taught me was about target marketing and buyer persona identification long before that phrase even became a big deal. Some people would say client avatar, customer avatar, buyer profile, et cetera. Um, so when I look at outbound, and I still do outbound to this day, it's very targeted. In fact, we do outbound with digital um, as much as we do inbound. Um, but to your points, you, you know, you're spot on. When I say patience, just to kind of, I think about the uh, formula BANT, B-A-N-T, and going back a little bit onto the sales side, BANT stands for budget authority, need, and timing. And so anytime we get that opportunity to talk to a lead and start to evaluate their problem against what we can do to solve it, it you know, a sale comes down to those four, one of those four things. Budget, like you mentioned, do they have the budget? Are they willing to invest the budget now? Uh, authority. Do they believe you're the right person, the right company, the right product or service to solve the problem? Need. Do they really actually need it or is it a want? Going back to that vitamin versus painkiller. 
and then timing. So my word patience fits into box number four, which is timing, because we can't control the timing. I do think, though, we can control how they see us as an authority. And the other three things are really out of our control. So when I speak to patients, I mean, when you have the person who fits all four of those, it is your responsibility as an entrepreneur and a salesperson to ask for the sale. It is also your responsibility to recognize that if you don't have one of those four things, because if you do try to push the sale and one or two of those things are out of line, out of alignment, you're going to have a bad customer relationship and that's going to spiral in a bad way. In many cases, that's going to leave you a bad review and some virtual, uh, you know, damage that could be irreparable if you really think about it. So that's what I mean by patience. Just to clarify, I'm a hundred percent, believe me, I've worked under quotas and, you know, I've done, you know, 50 sales consultations in a month. So I know what it's like to have enough at bats and have to meet a certain set of numbers. Uh, but that's what I mean by patience is understanding the band formula, where your prospect fits into that equation. And, but when you see you've got the green light, it, it is important that you ask that question. <laughs> it, I, you have great points there. And, you know, I'm going to kind of spin this into, into talking about our sponsor again. So, you know, Crown CFO offers fractional CFO services for businesses of any size or stage. And, you know, I, I talked about getting the impact of a full-time CFO for a fraction of a cost. Now, that said, like one of the things, and, and Mike, the owner of the company, has was, you know, at, when I became a lead for him, uh, he sat down and very much understood. Like, he, you talk about the BANT, like, well, he knew I, I was the CEO of the company, so he knew he was talking with a decision maker. But he did. He asked what the budget is and really, like, what's the biggest problem you're trying to solve? Right. And, you know, that's I mean, that's the key. That's the right. that's the why that we're all trying to, to you know, what's, the, you know, like and then even down to timing. And uh, we had some specific things and budgets that and, and things we needed to do that we had to really put the full court press on. And they identified that right away. Now, I, I at full scale, we do the same thing. You know, it's like, you know, what's your budget? And, you know, when it comes to authority, like as a salesperson, you're swimming upstream uh, in many cases. And you might, that might, that, that stream may begin at the front door of the business, but you're trying to get, if you're not in front, if you're not, if you are not delivering your message directly to the decision maker, it's going to be tougher. You're and wasting your, you're gonna, you're wasting you're, your time. <laughs> you are. I mean, you are, or you're playing that telephone game that we played in school where, you know, you whisper the story in everyone's ear and then it comes out. And I've, I have a couple things I've done to try to control, help control that. Well, like I try to control the narrative and, you know, we've made little one minute videos and different stuff that just mm -hmm. answered repetitive objections and questions. And it makes it real easy to share. So I don't subject myself to the mercy of someone else trying to explain what we do or how we do it. Now, in regards to timing, and that's, I think that's, that's a, a key thing. Cause, um, you know, like, I mean, like you can't make people buy stuff, uh, especially professional services. And, you know, Daryl, you have a lot of experience working with enterprise level clients, high ticket professional services, B2B, B2C, SaaS, e-commerce and stuff like that. Now, I mean, the bigger the ticket, the harder the sale in many cases, because you just can't force it, you know? And, yeah, and, more people are involved. Um, yeah, you get, yeah. And then often it's like I said, like with the services we sell at full scale, like they, they don't need a team of programmers if they don't have a Go project ready. And, mm -hmm. 
And that's one thing that, that I've always tried to really impress with our salesperson. That's like, um, you know, like it's, we got to do business later too. So I kind of compare it to planting seeds, like, you know, and, and now that said, if someone says they have an immediate need now, I think all of this stuff on the way in, on the way in the door, these are simple questions that you can ask any lead. And that should be part of your structured communication you have with anybody, right? So like, for example, um, you've got, you know, like, do you already employ? So we, we require that a business have specific things that make them qualified or unqualified. Like we want them to have some kind of technical presence here. So we want to augment their staff, like asking, like, you know, even simple things too, to help you understand like questions. We have a, a, an onboarding survey, uh, that asks you like, what kind of techni- what kind of providers are you looking for? What kind of programmers? What kind of technology do they use? Uh, are you are you ready to start now or more than thirty days or maybe some somewhere down the road? But these are all questions that aren't difficult to answer that can really, really, really clarify your whole view of the of the position that the leads in the quality of the lead and also the urgency because someone that's saying i need this now you can take a slightly different approach with that i mean like they're operating with a sense of urgency so let's just get down to it how do we solve your problem absolutely where someone that's looking for later like that's okay and like i will take a different approach with that and so you know hey because for example like when you're when you sell services especially when provided by a unique individual i can't promise you that individual is uh, our developers only work for one client at a time mm-hmm. so i can waste my time and i can give you a, i can give you a list of people that are available but they're probably not going to be available later because they have long-term relationships with the clients they work for. Now, that said, some of these things, I say I have two favorite four-letter words in sales. It's sold and next. Um, I, the, the word next has probably made me more mo- as much money as sold because it's often easy to figure out that you're not talking to uh, the right buyer. Now, I mentioned like knowing who you're, you're chasing and who you're going after. I've seen salespeople in my life. And you mentioned, uh, Daryl, we're not old. We are experienced. I'm That's 45 right. and I've been That's selling right. stuff for a long time. And I've seen a lot of salespeople waste a lot of time just chasing the wrong stuff. And you know, opportunity cost mounts up when you yeah. choose to do one thing, you're not doing something else, which means you're not getting in front of someone that might actually buy. So yeah, at 100%. what point do you, at what point, or what are some things that you can help? So that's my take on when it's important to move on. Cause some people just get stuck on shit. Oh, yeah, and they will just, just literally define insanity. So at what point do you realize that leads aren't good or they need to be backburnered or something like that. What are some indicators oh, yeah. that you've you've learned about? So, I mean, you make some great points, and and you know, I think one of the biggest things a salesperson can do is to decide what a good prospect looks like. You know, you talked about questions that you ask when a lead is coming through the door to have a consultation or a conversation. I think having a very clear who is a good lead and who isn't a good lead is step number one. And if you get clearly defined on what a good prospect looks like, then you won't waste time. The the salespeople who waste time trying to convert someone who's not convertible. We have something in my methodology called high now, high later. 
high now means they're a highly qualified prospect and they have a need now that they've said they want to solve now to your comment earlier about budget. And they say, Hey, I've got a problem. I've got the budget. I need to solve this problem. That's high now, right? If I've got an overrun toilet in my bathroom, that's a high now equation. If my air conditioning's out in 114 degree heat, I'm a high now prospect. Um, however, if you come out and look at my toilet and it's just got a little thing and you got to fix a $4, tool on the toilet, or you got to put change a coil on an air conditioner, you might say that the air conditioner is eventually going to go out, which makes me a high probability of needing a new replacement, but it might be I'm a high later in my business. That is someone who is in a contract. People that come to my work, to my world, I often get called when things aren't going well with their current consultant agency company team member or what have you, but they've got a little bit more of a contract left and they are knowing that they're not going to renew with that particular provider. So they're calling me two, three, four months, six months out, and they could be perfectly qualified, but they're actually trying to figure out what their next move is going to be. So I think to your point of what a salesperson needs to understand, and something I learned a long time ago, number one, define what a good prospect and a good customer for your company looks like. Number two, it is perfectly okay that if your pipeline contains none of those ideal prospects for you to pass. You said the word next. I use the word pass, right? It's Another thing also, also a four-letter word. Absolutely. Stick, stick to the four letter. <laughs> the other thing that's really important is, is def you should be able to figure that out in 20 minutes. This is my rule. I used to be guilty of carrying one hour consultation meetings with a prospect. This is years ago with a prospect or a potential prospect and not getting to the bottom line fast enough. So you can do that somewhat with forms. Like you said, you can start segmenting, but listen, I, all of my new prospective client meetings, they start with the same 20 minute meeting. And what am I trying to define in the first 20 minutes? I'm not trying to make a sale in 20 minutes. I'm trying to define if the information they shared, in fact, you know, in 20 more minutes, can we figure out that there's a deeper reason for us to continue a dialogue? And I'm perfectly okay if the answer is no. One of the things I learned a long time ago, I want to say in my late 20s, early 30s, was that it's perfectly okay that if my pipeline doesn't have the ideal customers on it, it is okay to say no. I think what a lot of younger salespeople, when I say younger, I mean younger in experience, is they feel like if they don't have anything else to do, they might as well try to work this prospect and convert them. And it's a huge waste of time. Like you said, it's an opportunity cost. You don't get the time back. Your time is better spent prospecting in a new arena or, or marketing in a new arena to find the right prospects. And this is a challenge that every business faces. Uh, my agency is no different. My business is no different. I think I told you before we started this call, uh, when we first met, that 98% of the people that touch my website or, or become a lead or reach out to me on social media, they're not ready for me. They don't have the capability to even implement what I bring to the table. I'm usually looking for a little bit more seasoned company, not to say that the company has to be mega successful, but they've got to be out of startup land and they've got to know who they sell to and the, how they've sold it. My job is to scale it. That's what it, really what we specialize in, both on the leads and sales side. But you make great points. Salespeople can't get stuck trying to sell unsellable people. <laughs>
Yeah, and that's you know that's the key. And then you know if you want to maximize your sales leads, it's a it's a strong understanding of that. I mean, for us, it's very simple, man. We've got just a very very short uh, number of questions we ask. And you know the thing is, and, and at one point, someone said, "Well, what what if they don't want to fill those out?" Well, then they're not real serious about doing. <laughs> so don't be afraid to ask because <laughs> step just, one. Look, the clients that, the clients that you want. Uh, they want to do business with you. And like, I mean, like it really does. It's like three minutes and the, the good part. And now for us, we build our own system that we can give them access to a database of, of available help afterward. But you know that, so that's part of what kind of helps us let them into that. But really in the end, like you're usually talking to busy people and they understand, like they get it. They probably do something similar. So you know, someone that isn't willing to answer a couple questions up front probably isn't that great of a lead. 100%. Um, you, you know, and then the next thing too, and one of the things is, is, you know, we don't take every client that we could sell to. We're very particular about wanting, we know who we want to do business with. We know what kinds of businesses and what size and stage of businesses experience the, the greatest amount of success with our services. And that's important to us, not just bringing people in. Like you mentioned earlier, you're like, oh, well, it leads to a bad experience and a bad review. I mean, for us, and it's funny because as the, st- the host of Startup Hustle, people think that full scale like works with like day one startups a lot. We usually don't at all, if we, if ever. Right. Because there's not a level of experience and understanding. It's that kind of like, are you ready for us? And that's actually what we say. And like now that said, and that seed planting mentality, it doesn't mean you just burn the bridge and or the boat that just arrived on shore because those companies are often, we really pride ourselves on giving good advice. And I think that that is, is a good way to, uh, to basically uh, still plant that seed in fertile soil and give a little bit of input. You know, now, if you realize that it's just not the right kind of client, I'm not afraid to tell people that. I'm saying this, these just really aren't the kind of projects that, we work on, there are a lot of people out there that do, and you might want to consider looking for this, this, or this. So you still leave that. You don't, when you say next, you're not just like next, get out. But on some, well, for some clients, you may wish you had, (laughs) uh, having a, having a client list of, of, of pain in the butt, you know, clients is, is uh, in my opinion, it's just as bad as having no clients because, you know, there's a, there's a lot to to come down (laughs) to it. Okay. So we've obviously, you know, we've talked about, uh, about, you know, some of the issues, some of the different things that come up with, with generating what what we haven't talked about is some, uh, some popular ways that people generate leads and whether they're in, in, in incoming or outcoming. And, you know, look, here's the thing is anytime you see an ad on Facebook or Instagram, they're wanting to generate a lead. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and it comes a, a bunch of different ways, but you know, just what, what are some of your favorite or what are some of the things that you've seen, you know, uh, businesses do the best when it comes to general, just lead, lead gen in general. Say that yeah. five times really fast. Lead right. Gen in general, lead <laughs> gen in, okay. Yeah. You know, I, I'm obviously today, uh, even though the last decade, decade and a half, I've really emphasized uh, the digital space. And I think that is uh, priority number one, especially now given the, the current COVID situations and social distance situation. I think that businesses that have not paid attention to digital are feeling the pain today more so than any. 
Uh, hopefully they take that as it, this is not to knock outbound. I've done outbound offline networking. I've done it all. Um, but when it comes to what's most effective today and what I'm seeing is your ability to either a get your product or service into the lower part of the buyer's journey, which means closer to when they are, um, ready to solve the problem. That would be a stage we call stage four or stage three, which is called solution aware. And they then go to Google and are searching. And if you're, even if you've just gotten started with marketing or a new direction in marketing, I always am recommending Google ads. If your product does not have a six plus month or longer sales cycle. So if you've got anything short of a six month sales cycle, you're almost always going to see me and my team wanting to validate that lead generation process on Google. And the reason for that is because your competitors are already spending money there. It doesn't discount LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and those other places. Um, but I think if you're, if you're going to validate a pipeline quicker, you're going to do that with Google. You're going to get all your data from Google. I'm a data uh, driven marketer. So I, I, you know, aside from, I'm not the branding guy, I'm not the guy who lives in the creative world. I have a financial background, which I was going to go on wall street and become an analyst. It just so happened that this world of digital picked up and we've got all of the types of data. So I'm a data driven marketer. So I work with a four step process. That is we acquire data where it's most reasonably, uh, acquirable that would also bring you the fastest ROI. Number two, we're going to put that strategy into place. We're going to plan to execute. We're going to then execute. And then we're going to look at the data. That background actually came to me when I was playing sports. And then it became very synergistic when I went through the world of finance in terms of analyst and portfolio theory. Uh, that's kind of just a weird way of how this all married together for me to, to do digital well. But uh, I'm also a huge, huge, huge fan of Facebook. So I guess what I'm going to say is I think businesses who are ser ser uh, serious about lead gen, they're going to invest in paid ads. We can do all of the other organic things like YouTube videos and LinkedIn organic and uh, SEO, huge fans of all that. My agencies do all of that stuff. But when it comes to the biggest complaint that I get from companies, it's number one, how do I get my phone to ring today or whether I, you know, get forms filled out today. And if you're, you know, anyone who tells you SEO is going to bring you a result short of six months in a competitive industry is just taking your money. So let's just be clear about that. But if we really want to get those high quality leads today, we're going to make an investment in Facebook or Google in my world first. Uh, people say, Daryl, what about LinkedIn? I'm B2B. I sell high ticket. Great. Just be prepared to up your budget by five, by five X. It isn't a bad place to play, but they just don't have the same types of data, uh, data points and analytics. And so you're going to have to be willing to experiment. And they're still really set at the enterprise budget level. They're not the pay to play for most entrepreneurs that are between that 1 million and $10 million mark. So those are my two first recommendations. And what do I recommend when we go there? Number one, if you're on Google, that company should have a, what you would say, what you and I were talking about earlier, which is that's kind of a high now conversation. And you've got to have a sales process that incubates that click to a page that tells a story that matches what they searched. Now, here's the problem, Matt. Most people put up one simple page or landing page or a checkout page or a free consultation page or a get a quote page, but then they send all of the different search queries to this one page. And that's called lazy. And that's the reason why they'll say Google ads don't work, right? So if you come to my company or you get with my team, 
we might have 10 or 12 pages. And for that, you might think, well, is that all necessary? <laughs> yes, <laughs> if you want good results. Um, and then on the Facebook side of things, uh, the difference with Facebook is that you're interrupting people. If you recognize and understand that you're interrupting every single person on Facebook, you'll treat your Facebook marketing completely different. What you did on Google and what you go do on Facebook are absolutely unequivocally 100% on the opposite ends of the spectrum. But yet we can turn perfect strangers into customers using Facebook, even for B2B, if you approach it the right way. But that takes a bit more patience and a bit more content strategy on the top end because 100% you're interrupting people on Facebook. Whereas Google, they went searching for a problem, a, a solution to their problem. And most people, they don't draw a distinction between interruption marketing and solution solving in terms of their marketing, which is Google. So uh, we handle both of those very well. And then we handle everything in between. I think the number one uh, way to you know incubate and convert leads is through the power of email marketing. And today, with the power of Google's AI and Facebook's AI married with email marketing, it scale is is just, I hate to say it's easy, but it's it's kind of easy once you put it into a formulaic system and completely built around the buyer's journey. Um, so those are my two best recommendations today. And of course, there's a lot you can do at Facebook. There's a lot you can do at Google, but those are the two places we're always starting. You said something that uh, that I hear a lot of people say. They're like, well, the paid ads didn't work. The cost per click ads didn't work. If people clicked them, they worked. That was the job of the of the CPC ad. Like that Google did their job. They got you the click. What you did with it on the backside of that, that's fault. on you. That people. was your fault. Right. And I mean, it really is. And and I hear that. Thanks a for lot. saying that. I said, well, the, <laughs> I, I tried Google ads or Facebook ads and they didn't work. I mean, now if no one clicked, then that, I mean, maybe I'm going to listen to that argument, but really that their whole ad is just to get the click. And like you said, um, you know, landing pages are important and the, you know, don't overcomplicate it. Um, you know, there's, there's, you talk about a data driven or a formulaic approach to things. Like if you don't, uh, if you can't understand some of the just general basics about your own business, then th you might need to start there. Um, you know, if, if you can't describe what you do quickly and efficiently, full scale, we help you build software teams quickly and affordably. That's it. That's like all you like, if, if that's something you want to talk about, I am all ears, all but right. you don't have to blow people away with this like mega story or, you know, the TLDR too long, didn't read like, you know, like there's a probably just a couple right. simple solve right. problems. Are you tired of, of, of not finding the help you need? Are you right. tired of overpaying? Are you tired of this? You know, and, the, and that's, those are the things like, where's the benefit and you got to lead with the need, you know, uh, three books later and a, and a, and the editor, the same editor for all three, who is a New York times, best-selling editor for a dozen other authors, not me. Um, you know, well, that's the one thing he taught me is like, you got to lead with the need if you can't get that attention right away. And that has a lot to do with the clicks for your ads as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. like what you're you saying, know, I see people what you're like, saying is like, so critical. 
you have such a tiny yeah, amount your- of space too. Like, yeah, like yeah. we literally turned this podcast into a, a top 20 entrepreneurship podcast on Apple with a simple ad that just said so many of you, I guarantee you saw it. It says a podcast for entrepreneurs. What else do we need to say? If you're an entrepreneur and you like podcasts, you may like Startup Hustle. I don't know, but that will get your attention and that's all you need to say. Now, where a lot of that that uh, strategy fails is trying to squeeze too much in there. And if you ever placed an ad on Facebook or Instagram, they will literally be like, you have too much text. This isn't going to work. If you're triggering that, you got some stuff to think about. Now, mm-hmm. you've mentioned one thing uh, when it comes to LinkedIn and yeah, the 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 sophistication of their data and their uh, overall ad platform is nowhere near uh, Facebook or Google. One thing that is that is helpful is if you do if you do sell specific services or products and you are positive that there is one person in a company that is always your buyer, for example, a CTO or whomever, the one thing I really, really like about LinkedIn is the ability to segment, to only show your opportunity to people with a specific title. And that's a lot trickier and the other things because LinkedIn people almost always associate themselves with a title that's somewhat predictable. Uh, yes, there's variants of it. Um, Facebook is a little less exact in that regard because people aren't always describing themselves with their job title. Um, and then, and then with, when it comes to, to Google, uh, yeah, there are ways to, obviously, if they're searching for spe- specific things, you know, if you don't have any experience with that, you can call Daryl's company. And there's also literally a le- unlimited amount of subject matter out there. Um, this is, you know, Google's one of the world's most valuable companies for a reason. Um, they've, they, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff out there, but you know, if you're not comfortable with, uh, using a, a firm or a service to do that. I mean, you mentioned that barrier to entry. You can start with like pennies a day almost. Yeah, they'll take your they'll take your money for works. they'll take your money for a dollar a day or something. It's you know, and they that's, will. They that's, will. that's that's the beauty of it, but that's also one of the pitfalls, right? I think where digital marketing's gone awry, and I think it's going to eventually catch up uh, very much the way the mortgage industry and real estate industries were sort of at the epicenter of the of the collapse of the last recession and the cause of the last recession, the digital marketing space right now has courses on Udemy for $12.99 that mm-hmm. say that they'll make yeah. you an expert in digital marketing. You can go to YouTube, Google, you can go in free Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups. So there's no shortage of free information. What there's a lack of is consistent strategy. For example, I'm a sports fan. I'm not sitting here saying I'm a New England Patriots fan. What I'm going to use though as an example of the New England Patriots dominance in the NFL. How is it that a you know Bill Belichick can continue to take you know teams to the Super Bowl with almost entirely different casts, you know, one year to the next? And it's because he has a system. I'm a Lakers fan. Phil Jackson and the and the Lakers, the number of years they won. The you look at any great sports team or franchise. They win through systems, not just great, talented people. And a system is something that becomes monotonous. And Matt, I tell you, just like probably some of the work that you do to help your clients, it's it becomes monotonous to you as the subject matter expert, but it's so foreign 
to the person who needs it. So for me, what I do now 30 years later is very much the same thing I did in my 20s. And in some cases, it's monotonous, which is why it only takes me 20 minutes to figure out if a lead is a real lead for me, because I can look for the pieces to the puzzle. And I think with Facebook, Google, any of the platforms, it takes nothing to sign up. It takes literally nothing to put your credit card in. And they obviously are going to have suggestions on which ad you should run, whether it's the boost button or whatever the case is. And unfortunately, that is the downside because they'll talk to a subject matter expert who charges a fair price for their expertise. But it's not just the expertise. It's the experience that brought them to that level of expertise to execute at the highest level fastest the first time. But they'll, you know, like you said earlier, they'll stick their toe in the water with a couple of dollars here or there, or, or even a, a low ticket, you know, intern or a low ticket service provider and expect that that person uh, inexperienced as they are will turn water into wine. And that's re really where entrepreneurs go sideways. So you need the right. You're going to pay for it one way or the other. You're going to yeah, pay, pay for it, for it one way or the other. You're going to pay for it the back end. end. You know, years ago, I used to want to do everything myself and yep. really, uh, oh, I don't want to pay this or pay that. And, you know, as I've honestly, as I've grown older and more experienced and my business has grown quickly, um, you know, I've just really appreciated the value of going straight to the source. You, you talk about, you know, people like my lawyer charges 500 bucks an hour. You're not paying for the hour. You're paying for all of the hours they went through prior to yours and that experience. And, and here's the thing is so many things in life and in business are not remarkably complex. Like you might be you, that you could, I, I could probably change your business in an hour. And, you know, so what's that worth? Or do you want to mess around and, you know, like you mentioned, pay an intern to try to figure it out now, Along the my hour would be pretty expensive, but I've also gone through a lot of pain and agony uh, trying to help you avoid that. Now, with that, and we end our episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call the Founders Freestyle, where I'm going to give you a, a, a moment to recap everything. Earl's link is down there too. He's done some really cool stuff. I've really enjoyed this conversation because uh, I can tell you're very analytic, analytical about it because you are, look, this is logic. These are zeros and ones in the end. And <laughs> right. it is a process. Now, once you figure that process out, you can move mountains. Now, I, I as promised, it's time for the Founders Freestyle, where I'm going to give you the mic and I'm going to give you a chance to say anything that wasn't said, resolve anything we left unsaid, or just say something. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the dialogue. It's been a great conversation. For anyone listening, I would say, listen, I've started six businesses. Uh, and in that story, uh, it all wasn't good. But it, the ones that worked and the ones that didn't work all started with the same problem. You've got to have people to talk to who have a problem that your product or service can solve. Today, I'm very heavily involved in the digital landscape, as well as we are still taking companies that are 10, 15, 20 years old from the offline landscape onto the digital landscape, which is really actually very, very fun because they have one of the key assets available, which is usually a past customer database. If you come to the online space with an offline past customer database, email list, contact list, vendor list, whatever it may be, it makes your life digitally so much easier than starting from scratch. My encouragement for you would be to assess your, your ideal buyer persona, your ideal client avatar. 
such that you know exactly what a yes is and exactly what a no is. Be okay with the no's, move forward with the yeses. Always remember that BANT is at play when it comes to lead, uh, you know, bringing them through the buyer's journey and getting them to buy. BANT, again, is budget authority, need, and timing. You're responsible for whether they believe you're the authority. You're not actually responsible for the rest. And that'll change the way you approach your marketing, no matter what the channel, because I'm channel agnostic. <laughs> I've been on all the channels. I've been on LinkedIn since 06. I had my first email marketing uh, sequence in 2003 on a system called Get Response, which is still around. So it doesn't matter the channel. Your understanding of your buyer's journey is the key. If you spend time there and isolate and really understand what they're going to do when they want to solve their problem, that your product so eloquently, nicely, and purposefully that you created to solve fits into their world, uh, your marketing and your lead generation and sales gets so much easier. Matt, thanks again for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you joining me. And, you know, I want to parlay off so much of what you said. You know, I, I love the band, um, <laughs> you know, budget, authority, need and timing, because without and, you know, look, so much of this is just simple checklists. And, uh, you know, when when more of when more boxes are checked, it's a better lead. And when no boxes are checked, it might not be a lead. And that's right. You know, the thing is, is whether you're the one that's that's chasing sales and building business at your business or you or it's being done by employees like, look, the, the better you are at getting down to whether or not you have a good lead or not or a good opportunity or whether it's a, a high now or high later which we may have referenced in our past episodes with cannabis founders. Um, but I think we're talking about, well, I think we're talking about a different, they were high. They, yeah. They were high uh, now yeah, or high yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Now, in my slightly different time, context. Though, where, well, but the same thing and where I'm going to go with that is back to my seed planning analogy, you know, like sometimes it takes time for something to grow. Um, I taught you know, during quarantine, I taught my kids a little bit, about biology and agriculture by growing cucumbers. And we finally have been able to pick them. And we my, now we were out there when they had for the vines had grown and my daughter was like, let's the, the little tiny cucumbers, they weren't ready to eat yet. And she wanted to pick them. I said, no, honey, we got to wait for them to be, the, it'll be a bigger cucumber and we'll have more, more to eat. So, you know, the, the planting those seeds, every direction you can is the best thing you can do for your business as well as learning when it's time to say next. Uh, we have, we're going to add a bad four letter word. Don't be lazy right. uh, with your, with your lead gen and everything approach. It's not the ads fault. If it got clicked, uh, what you do with it is another thing. Look, keep it simple, keep it smart and don't be afraid to make adjustments along the way. And you'll probably figure it out. All that said, man, I'm going to go try to sell something. I'll see you, you next time, Daryl. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks again. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.